0: So John is trying to tie Jesus back to the creative days of Genesis, and uh, John's gospel is a completely different flavor, completely different style, and so each gospel records uh, some stories and not others, and some of them agree on the same story, and others, uh, you know, it's just there's very few stories that that are recorded all four times in the gospels, but this particular Uh, event was recorded all four times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so you can begin to see that this was a big deal. If all four writers of the Gospels said, hey, you know what, this is an important story, an important part of the, the life and the death of Jesus Christ, then, then it's something we can look at and go, you know what, there's something to this. We should take note of what is being done here. Uh, at this time of the year, the Jews are celebrating something called the Passover. And Passover is an event that, that began way back thousands of years before when Israel was, was slaves in the land of Egypt. And while they were slaves in the land of Egypt, God sent a deliverer to them, Moses, who was a type of Jesus Christ. Slavery is a type of sin. Pharaoh, who was the the chief of Egypt, was a type of Satan. And so you can see the the typology in both both stories. Here we have Moses, who is a type of a deliverer, messiah, or a, a rescuer. He's a type of Christ. And he comes in. And he delivers the people through many miracles, um, through many signs, and then uh, brings them through the Red Sea and delivers them over into the land of Israel after many years of wandering in the wilderness. And so this is like a shadow of of what it it is to become a Christian and what it is to become saved. And so the Jews are now celebrating this very important feast. And Passover was the night when it was the last plague that struck the land of Egypt. And uh, Egypt had already massacred millions of Jews, millions of people over the years. They had killed, brutally treated them, enslaved them viciously to hard labor in in building the cities of Egypt. And one particular time, Pharaoh didn't like the fact that there were a lot of boys being born. And they thought, Pharaoh thought for sure that this nation was going to grow so large that it was even as slaves was going to get bigger than Egypt and eventually just take over and overthrow the Egyptians so pharaoh decided he was going to have all the midwives kill the firstborn boys of the Jewish population and he did this it was a terrible event and so as a final stroke a last plague a last uh, chance, God had given Pharaoh so many chances and given him so many warnings, and finally Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let you go, and God said, all right, fine, then, then tonight is the night that the angel of death will be released into the land of Egypt, and every firstborn child, from the, from the Pharaoh down to the servant girls, and uh, even of the cattle and of the dogs, every firstborn individual is going to die this night. But if you are an Israelite, if you are a Jew, and you take a lamb and you take its blood, you, you slay the lamb, you take the blood of that lamb and you put it on the doorpost of your home, when I see the blood, the Lord said, I'm going to cause my angel to pass over your house. You won't, you won't suffer the plague of the death of the firstborn sons. And so Israel performed this feast and they, they ate bitter herbs, they ate unleavened bread. They ate the lamb roasted with fire, and uh, they, they they had to consume the whole thing. They had to eat with their shoes on, with their belt around their waist and their staff in their hand. Uh, it was fast food. It was the first fast food meal in history. They had to eat it quickly, and they had to eat it ready to go. They couldn't, they couldn't sit down to a luxurious meal. It had to be something quick because God was going to do a quick work and deliver them, from their captivity. And so Jesus is now celebrating and is coming up to this Passover feast. And it was a big deal. It still is to this day. Jews celebrating Passover. It's still a big deal for them. And so Jesus is now coming to the end of his life and he's about to celebrate Passover with his disciples. Interestingly enough, the same night that they celebrate Passover is the same night in which Jesus was crucified on the cross showing us that by the lamb they were rescued from death. So by the death of Jesus Christ are we rescued from the penalty of sin. And so Jesus has spent the majority of his ministry healing the sick. He's spent the majority of his ministry raising the dead, doing miracles, signs, and wonders. and, and, And right before the events of Matthew 20, Jesus heals a man by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was a man who was blind and he came to Jesus and he cried out to him and he said Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me and this this title really shook the political and religious world because the to call somebody the son of David was was in fact to call them deliverer. You're the next Moses. You're the next deliverer like David was the king of old and the deliverer of the people of Israel. So Jesus is the son of David and he will come and deliver the people from their sins it was tantamount to calling Jesus the Messiah which the Jews had long awaited the prophecies of of the one who would come and deliver them from their captivity and so the 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 people began to stir at that 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 declaration and then not too long after that Jesus visits a man and his sisters and then takes off and goes around uh, goes off on another little trip and while Jesus is away that man whose name is Lazarus dies And is buried in a tomb for four days. And Jesus comes back to the tomb after four days of him being dead. And calls him out of the tomb. And the man comes out all wrapped in his grave clothes. And he was brought back to life. And this staggering miracle of Jesus defeating death really shook the people. It really got into the fabric of their hearts. And they they began to really get the idea that maybe... This guy is exactly the son of David. He really is Messiah. He really is. He's been doing all these miracles, and now there's like the icing on the cake. He, he, he raises a man back from the dead. Now, can you imagine? This is the time of year. I'm trying to lay a lot of background foundation for you because sometimes you can miss the significance of the story if you don't understand these, these colors and hues that kind of make up the backdrop of the story. Now imagine this. You're a Jew celebrating Passover. Passover celebrates the the coming of a deliverer, like Moses, to set you free from slavery. The Jews are currently under Roman occupation. Not the same as Egyptian slavery, but pretty close. Roman occupation was no laughing matter. Taxes were high. Abuse was rampant soldiers could uh, could basically, no matter what you were doing, you could be doing your job and the soldiers could come along and order you to carry their pack for them uh, up to a mile. And often they would make you carry it longer. It didn't matter if you were on your way to your job or what you were doing, if your kid was sick, if the soldiers came by and said, you know what, we need you to come do this, you had to do it. But you didn't get the benefits of being a Roman citizen without paying a lot of money. And so... It wasn't exactly the nicest setup. And so imagine, you're coming up to this holiday called Passover. It's a week before. And, and uh, you're instinctively, as a Jew, looking for the Deliverer, the next Messiah. All Jews were raised with the, the prophecies of the Messiah. They memorized them. They studied them. Most Jewish men could, quote, Large portions of the Torah and the prophets. They, they, could, they could quote by heart the promises of, of the coming Deliverer who would, who would heal and he would bring healing and he would bring deliverance and he would set the captives free. And, and then Jesus comes on the scene and for the last three years he's been raising people from the dead. He's been healing the sick. He's been opening the eyes of the blind. He's been, uh, he's been uh, forgiving those who were caught in the act of adultery. He's been doing all these kinds of amazing things. And now he raises Lazarus from the dead. Man, I mean, if this guy was your king and you were, you were fighting a battle for him and you died in the, in the battle, he could just raise you back to life. It was like the invincible army. Never die, right? This guy has all power to raise people from the dead, to heal sick. You could get you could get your arm cut off in battle and he'd just grow you a new one. Like you, you you can imagine the 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 way people would think and the 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 reasoning and the logic behind it, and now they're up coming up to celebrating this Passover meal. And it almost brings all of these hopes to a fever pitch. It all brings all of this stuff to a boiling point. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go to the village and I want you to find a colt, a donkey tied in which nobody has ever ridden on. And uh, scholars believe that Jesus' colt, his donkey, the reason why he was never ridden on was because he was, he was young and perhaps it's possible that he was even a white Donkey, a white colt, which was significant. I mean, it wasn't often that this kind of coloring pattern happened, and so potentially it would have it, it would have been significant, which is why nobody had ridden on it. It was a special donkey. It was the owner perceived that this donkey perhaps could be used someday for a very special individual because white donkeys and white horses were something that royalty often sequestered to use to ride through a city. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go to this city, you'll find this donkey, this colt, tied up. I want you to untie it and bring him to me. And when the the owners ask you of the donkey, ask you, what are you doing with my donkey? You just say, don't worry, the Lord has need of it, and they'll let you have it. Now, that seems strange to us here today. I mean, if someone came up to your white little uh, Toyota Corolla and decided to get in it and turn it on and drive it away, you'd be like asking a little bit more of the, what are you doing? You'd be like, stop, you know, call the police. Someone's stealing my car. But that wasn't the case. In these days, it was it was common for a rabbi or for a position of uh, authority to come by and say, you know what, I need your animal. I need to ride on it. And you just gave it to them. It was culturally acceptable. It, there was a honor system. You, they would return it to you when you were done. But Basically, no questions asked, no fee, and they could just sequester the donkey or the, the animal and ride it. And so this is the this is the the setup. Jesus gets on the donkey. So he, all this backstory: Passover, right? Deliverer—that's what they're looking for. Jesus has been doing all these miracles, some some pretty impressive miracles. And now Jesus, uh, you know, up to this point, Jesus has been telling everybody he he heals. Just keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. You know, he delivers someone from a demon, possess, demon possession and says, you know, just shh, keep it to yourself. This is between me and you, right? He'll, he does a, a mass miracle. And right as the crowd is about to announce that he's the Messiah, Jesus gets on a boat and leaves and kind of just disappears into the mist. You know, he's, 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 he's setting it up. But now all of that is put aside and Jesus gets on the back of a donkey and says I'm going to ride through Jerusalem on this white donkey. The last time we see somebody riding on the back of a donkey is in 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1, I'm reading from the ESV. 1 Kings 1 and 32. And David the king said, "Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah the son of Jehoiada." So they came before the king, and the king said unto him, "Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and bring him to bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over." Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. Then you shall say and come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And so the people went up after him, then verse 40, playing on the pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. This is the last time we see a, an individual getting on a donkey and parading through Jerusalem was when Solomon became the king. Now, the backstory of that one is 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 intricate and detailed. We won't get into it, but basically, one of David's other sons wanted to be king over Solomon. And David said, Nuh-uh, it's not you, it's Solomon. It's 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 not. Uh, Ahijah or Adonijah, it's Solomon. He's the one who's supposed to be king. And so put Solomon on my donkey, my mule, and ride him to Gihon and announce to everybody, anoint him as king and announce to them that Solomon is now the king of Israel. And then he'll come back and sit on my throne and the, the, the place was so overjoyed that they split the earth with their noise. They shouted, they sang, they they rejoiced at the coming of the king. And so when Jesus got on the back of a donkey, Jesus knew this story about Solomon. This was not a, a secret story. This wasn't a long-forgotten history lesson. This was Solomon was one of the greatest kings of the nation of Israel, as a united nation. This was before anybody was in captivity, before the Romans, before the Greeks, uh, and Solomon was one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever had. And so Jesus is is piggybacking on this mental image. And he's announcing to the whole nation, I am the next king. Jesus is, is announcing it in a very poignant and, and straightforward fashion. There is no hiding behind a, 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 an interpretive understanding. There is no mystery any longer. But Jesus is coming right out and saying, I am the king and you are not. That was the whole point of putting Solomon on the, the back of David's donkey was to, was to signify Solomon is the king and Adonijah is not. Solomon is the real king. And this other guy that's over here proclaiming to be king, he's the false king and Solomon is the real king. And what Jesus was doing, he got on the back of the donkey and he was essentially saying to the crowd, I am the king and anything else in your life that is trying to take the throne and trying to set itself up is not the king. Now, this is very interesting. There's so much going on. In this story. And so Matthew signifies that, that Jesus is actually fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Matthew 21 verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say, Behold, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is very important. Jesus came in as the humble king. So cool. So cool. God is so confident in who he is. He does not need fanfare to declare his authority or his power. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you praise it or not, Jesus is the king. Whether you accept it and live by it and live under his authority, it really doesn't change the facts. The facts are he's the king. Why didn't Jesus ride in on the back of a white horse? I mean, this would have been the the pattern of the Romans and the Greeks and the Gentiles. Every kingdom that was set up around this time, and in fact to this day it still is the case, Every kingdom or government that rises to power does so with great fanfare. The greatest weapons, the greatest beasts, the greatest animals at uh, that day were the horses, so you you got on the best kind of horse, the white horse. And you rode on the back of a white horse with your entourage, with your banners unfurled, with your 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 army behind you brandishing their weapons and their shields, and, and all of the fanfare. You ride in with great authority and pomp and circumstance. You ride in with lots of uh, up to do and 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 great great things. The red carpet is rolled out for you. The the best uh, floral arrangements are at your disposals. The the confetti is released. The fireworks go off because the king has entered into the city. But in this case, it was Jesus riding side saddle on the back of a white donkey. Not an impressive animal. Not Not a large or impressive animal, but rather a humble animal. An animal of burden, an animal of the farm, an animal of the country, not a a beautiful war horse, but just a humble old white donkey. What's interesting is that Jesus rides on the back and instead of a beautiful saddle carved and engraved with etched leather, Jesus rides on the cloaks of his followers. And instead of a red carpet or, or a great fanfare, it was... It was the garments of his disciples and, and people begin to lay their garments out on the street and it wasn't it wasn't a big huge fanfare as far as the world was concerned and, and Rome would have even looked at this and gone, Well, this is you know, no big deal. What's <laughs> he's got a donkey, we've got horses. They wouldn't have taken much notice of it. It wouldn't have been it would have stirred them up a little bit. They probably would have gotten a little worried about, oh, how is this? is this going to cause a riot? Is this going to cause problems? But they weren't really threatened by Jesus' claim to the kingship of his people. See, it's the same style that Solomon did. Solomon didn't ride through on a war horse. He didn't want to incite war or a civil dispute. He just wanted to humbly announce, hey, guess what, guys? That 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 joker over there, he's not the real king I am. He's not the one appointed to, to rule, but but I've been given the authority to do it. And so I'm just gonna humbly take my place as the king of Israel. See, it's the, that same idea. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them dominion over the earth. They were the king and the queen over God's creation. And so when, when Adam and Eve or disobeyed God, they surrendered that authority over to Satan and he became the God of this world. And so now Jesus as the Son of God, he escapes that line of Adam and and he 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 gives gets the advantage over Satan, and Jesus came to expose and defeat Satan. Satan is claiming to be the god of this world. Satan is claiming to be the authority that reigns and rules. You look at every interaction Jesus has uh, with a demon or a demonic spirit, and they're all looking at him going, it's not your time yet. You're not supposed to be here yet. You're not. This is not how it's supposed to go. And Jesus just simply gives them a simple command and says, you know what, just get out. Get out and go. And you find demons begging with Jesus, send us into the pigs. Don't send us into the waterless places. Don't send us over here. Don't send us, But send us into the the, the demons were, were, were par- parlaying with Jesus because they recognized his true authority. And Jesus was simply riding in on the back of a donkey to declare to the world, I am God. I am king. And Satan is not. But he didn't do it with a fanfare of authority. He didn't do it with a, a threat of military uh, overtaking. And, and here the church is still carrying that same humble attitude the church should still have. Uh, Christianity has always been damaged and always been looked bad upon when it tried to take up the sword to enforce its doctrine. You look at the Crusades, you look at this, the Inquisitions, you look at the anything where someone has picked up a sword in the name of Jesus to, to enforce the gospel or to enforce the Bible on people with force or with military campaigns. It's always failed. It's always looked bad upon uh, by historians and culture. But anytime a church humbly rises to a place of service, you know, the, every time a church humbly rises to a place uh, uh, of ministry, and, and while their influence can grow, their, their, their appearance is, is supposed to resemble so much the resemblance of Jesus riding on the back of a donkey, humble and surrendered, yet with authority. Jesus basically said, I've, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus wanted the the visible image to the people to be, I've come humbly because I've come to give you life. I've come with authority, yes. I've come to do battle, yes. But I've not come to do battle with you physically. I'm not going to ram it down your throat. I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. I'm going to humbly present it to you in a manner of service and humility. Jesus came, Acts 26.18 tells us the purpose of the church is to be here, to open the eyes of the blind, that they may turn from darkness to light. Acts 26 basically outlines it in that same humble way. I want you to turn. I'm going to open your eyes so that you will turn from darkness to light. Jesus isn't coming in with the, the sword brandish saying, You are going to turn from darkness to light. You are going to change your trajectory now. No, Jesus says, I'm just going to open your eyes. And it's up to you. If you want to turn from darkness to light, The opportunity is available. The humble donkey has rode into town, and the king is riding on the back of a donkey, gentle, approachable. If you look at someone riding on a donkey, they're a lot more close to the ground than someone riding on a horse. Someone riding on a horse is impressive. They're tall. They're large. uh, They're frightening. They're terrifying. A horse is a large animal. A donkey is a lot closer to the ground. A donkey, while still bearing power and authority, is a lot more approachable, a lot more reachable. Jesus came into town riding on the donkeys trying to bring the message, I'm here with authority, but I'm reachable. I'm available. I'm here to serve. I'm here to bring Light into darkness. I'm here to open the eyes of the blind. It's just like Isaiah said of Jesus, uh, uh, Unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, Isaiah 9, 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. In other words, when Jesus comes in peace, the choice really is left up to you. He's not going to come in by force and command and demand change, but he's going to come in peacefully and the choice becomes yours. Jesus concludes his ministry in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He concludes his, and when I say he concludes, Revelation really deals with Jesus not riding in on a donkey, but riding in on a horse. Because you look at the book of Revelation and you find Jesus at the end, he does ride in on a white horse. And he does have a sword. And he, he is ready for battle. At this point, the, the donkey's been put away. And the hum- humility and and all of that that gentleness has been, put aside for a time because now it's time for judgment. And so the last call of Jesus on the donkey is in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. He said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with me and he with me." What is Jesus saying? He said there is a there is a period of time in which I am just standing at the door and knocking. I'm riding through your town on a donkey. I'm riding through gently, humbly, meekly, yet with, with authority, yet with power to deliver. But the, the choice is yours. The opportunity is standing before you. But will you take the opportunity that has come knocking at your door? See, the choice in this dispensation of time, is always with us. He's the king, but he's the king approachable. He's the king, but he's the king that's reachable. He's the king. There is no doubt about it. Jesus was making a bold declaration. I am the king. Satan is not. I am the Lord. This world is not. I am the chief, and this this system is not the chief. It's not the stand up. It's no. there's no human authority that can take my place. I am the king, but I am available to you. See, Jesus rides into our life every single day. He rides through the streets of our own homes and through the streets of our hearts and our thoughts on a daily basis. If you ever walk outside in the morning and the sunlight breaks through the clouds, And caresses your face with warmth. You can just take that as the gentle king riding through your day. It's a moment. Don't discount that. That's not just poetry. That's scripture. You read the book of Romans. And it talks about how God created everything to testify to his existence and to his love for mankind. So every time you see a flower that opens as the spring progresses and those beautiful tulips and early spring flowers begin to push out of the soil, you can look at it and go, that is so cool. That is so nice. And dismiss the fact that it was God who set that flower there in your path to remind you that he is good and that he loves you, and that he's looking for you, and that he's just a gentle king riding through the streets of your day. It might be in the smile of someone that you see. It might be in the provision that comes unexpectedly, a check you weren't expecting, a financial blessing that you weren't looking for. It it could be in the kind word that was unexpectedly given to you. It could be in a pleasant memory, a thought that brings you a smile or joy. It could be in the warmth of a a, a friendly word from somebody, or it could be the nudge in your heart to just turn on that that song you love and to worship, or, or, or that nudge to pray, or that nudge to read your Bible, and you didn't really expect it. It didn't you don't know where it came from, but it just kind of gently came up and nudged your heart and you, you felt drawn to the word. You felt drawn to prayer, even to just say a few words to the Lord. That's the humble king riding through the streets of your day. That's the humble king riding through the streets of your heart. It could come in a moment when you're frustrated and you're anxious. Maybe you're in an argument with somebody and that gentle nudge of the spirit that comes and says, wait, don't. say that, say this instead. What is that? That's not Jesus coming in with the sword forcing you to bow your knee. That's the humble king riding on a donkey through the streets of your city wondering if you'll lay down your cloak and lift up your palm branches and say Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes to bring his kingdom to the earth. Blessed is the king I surrender Surrender my allegiance to Him. I surrender my life to Him. He's looking for you to surrender yourself. See, see, church is just supposed to be a reflection of what you do on a daily basis. What, how you worship and how you praise uh, in service should be a reflection of what you do throughout the week. Uh, that throughout the week it should not just be a once, uh, once a year thing, or once a month thing, or once a week thing. But there should be a daily interaction between you and your King. Now, Jesus Jesus didn't stop at the entry, the triumphal entry. When Jesus began to walk through the city, the people began to rejoice. They began to celebrate that he was come. The Messiah had come. But Jesus made his way to the temple. In Matthew 21, verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. See, Jesus had, while he did not ride with great authority or, or uh, might or prowess through the city, when he got to the temple, something changed in him. He got to the temple, and he began to overturn tables. He began to throw the tables aside and cast money off the side and release animals out of their pens, and it was chaos in the temple. The Bible says that Jesus braided a whip, and began to drive out the merchants with the whip. Well, he came in humbly, yes, but when he got to the temple, there was something that came over him that said, this has got to stop and stop now. When he got to the temple, he said, this house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. And then I love verse 14 of Matthew 21. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. See, Jesus purged the temple with force because the temple was something that was supposed to have belonged to God. When he was allowed in the temple, he cleaned the temple out and removed things somewhat forcefully out of its gates. And the people had hailed him as king. See, the people had welcomed him in. They had sang, Hosanna. They shook the palm branches. They waved their, their branches and they laid down their cloaks. And so Jesus said, okay, if you accept me as king, I'm going to act like a king. So when you begin to let the Lord into your life, guess what? He's going to clean out the temple. The Bible tells us that our bodies are now the temple of the living God. The temple of the Holy Ghost. That your bodies belong to God. God has created your bodies to house His Spirit. Much like the temple of old contained the ark and the law and the presence of God, now our bodies are the containers of the presence of God. The law of God is written on our hearts. The Spirit of God dwells within our minds and our spirits. And so our bodies become the new temple of God. And so when you let him in as king, he's going to come in, but he's going to clean house a little bit. But I love it. After he was done cleaning house, he healed the blind, the sick, and the lame. There's a point in your walk with God where god it will feel like God is just cleaning house. He wants you to change this. He wants you to change that. He wants you to work on this. But when he's done He's going to take all the brokenness, all the blindness, all the wounds, all the hurts. He's going to take all the backwardness, all the the dysfunction, and he's going to begin to heal it one by one. Because he's still the humble king riding on the back of a donkey. He wasn't the king that was aloof and distant from the suffering of his people. He wasn't the king that was removed that said, Let the lower, let the lower people deal with the sick. Let the lower ones deal with the, the, the poor and the destitute. No, Jesus was the king who lived among the poor and ministered to the broken and healed their sick and their lame. Why don't we stand this morning? Jesus is looking to walk into the city of your life like he did in Jerusalem. He's looking to walk through the streets of your day, the streets of your home, the streets of your family. And he's wondering if anybody is going to acknowledge, hey, Jesus, you're my king. Hey, Jesus, you're my Lord. I'll, I'll follow you today. I'll lay down my garments and let you be the king. I'll lay down my myself and allow you to rise up and become king of my house. Would you let Jesus into your life today? Would you open up your heart to him? And, and how do I do that? But how do I open up my heart, Pastor? My heart is inside my chest. You don't, you know, what do you mean when you say open up my heart? It, it means you hear what the message is being said here and and you take it in and you say, you know what? I, I actually do want Jesus to be king. I actually do want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I, I do want that. Lord, I, I surrender. Maybe your first step is just to repent of your sins. Maybe it's just to acknowledge Jesus. You are the king and I've, I've lived my life as the king for so long. I've lived under the rulership of my own Wants and desires for so long, but Jesus, I, I want to I make a change today. I want, I want you to be the king, and a next step for you, I would encourage you, is to get baptized in Jesus' name. Because that's where the king comes in, and he cleans the temple.